You're listening to The Brandon Matthews Show. Hello, today on The Brandon Matthews Show, we're going to be discussing transgenderism. Whether or not transgenderism is a mental illness or is it a civil right, and in light of the discussion on transgenderism, what do we as a society need to do in terms of policy prescriptions and, and thinking through and discussing this seemingly more and more complex issue? Transgenderism has seemed to started to dominate conversation on many different fronts. And it seems to be also moving at a rapid rate uh, from a cultural perspective, just like many of the ideas that seem to have found real emergence and footing in the sexual revolution of the mid-20th century. And I chose to do a, a podcast on this, on transgenderism, because in all honesty, this is a topic that I'm still confused by, and I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. I'm somewhat intrigued and very curious about the, the, the subject. What do we need to do? How do we need to talk about it? And what I found in, in studying this is that there's not a whole lot of discussions that is taking place. And what I mean by that is, I will say recently that we see more um, academic work start to emerge um, that we can look at and study in terms of thinking through and, and looking at transgenderism from an academic perspective and psychological and sociological perspective. I think a, a recent book that came out is by Ryan T. Anderson of the Heritage Foundation, and his book is called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment. I think that he does a, a pretty good job based off of my understanding. I have not read the book, but of really looking into the transgender movement, looking at it from a scientific, philosophical um, perspective. Um, but by and large, there's not a whole lot of conversations. And whenever I say that, there's not a whole lot of real conversations and discussions taking place on this. There are plenty of sound bites in which we hear, and there's plenty of Facebook memes that are associated with either side of the spectrum that you fall on regarding transgenderism. But by and large, just doesn't seem like a lot of really good debate taking place. And there's a couple reasons for that. I would say one, limited research. As I mentioned, it seems as if the academic community, um, though I will say that there is studies from decades in the past on this particular subject, specifically gender dysphoria. What I'll say is it seems that there is an emergence of, of um, research that is taking place on, transgen on transgenderism. Um, but by and large, it seems as if there's limited research, which means that there's limited things to discuss. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, and maybe a greater contribution to this lack of discussion is the increasingly uh, the increasing polarization that's taking place in our country. That is, it seems as if wherever you fall in the ideological spectrum, uh, specifically politically, it seems as if the right and the left ends of that spectrum are becoming more and more entrenched and hardened in their beliefs. So what we see is that oftentimes individuals will um, somewhat identify with their political beliefs or philosophical beliefs. So whenever an individual with an opposing worldview or, or opposing viewpoint um, brings that opposing viewpoint to discussion, they are often, uh, individuals feel attacked, right? So when we feel attacked, we get very defensive, we can be, become violent. We see this happening specifically among uh, typically liberal or leftist-leaning students on college campuses. Um, in response to conservative speakers. Um, so I think we don't have a lot of persuasion going on. We, we, we tend to rely on violence today and, and shouting down and sound bites um, 
to have discussions, and I'm, I'm afraid that that is very damaging uh, to, uh, I would say, the fabric of any free society, specifically the United States of America. So my hope is that more, more thoughtful and fair discussions will take place on this very, very important issue. I will, uh, full disclosure, I'm no expert on this particular subject. As I said, I'm really just curious about it. So what I wanted to do was look through several different things and, and try to do some research and discuss this um, to see what I could find, to see, um, though uh, though I certainly have convictions over particular things and uh, though I, um, I think I know where I fall on this, on this debate, I still wanted to at least discuss through these things and maybe give, um, maybe give myself a little more, uh, a little more depth um, on the subject. But we're going to look at this from a helicopter view. We're going to dig into the weeds on a few different subjects, and then from there, um, individuals can kind of make their own their own decision and at least give them something to research. Maybe this conversation will give them something uh, to research and discuss and think through in the future. Our listeners. So. Um, my first question is, what does transgenderism even mean? Um, what we see, according to the American Psychological Association, transgender, quote, transgender is an umbrella term for persons whose gender identity, gender expression, or behavior does not conform to that typically associated with the sex to which they were assigned at birth. Gender identity refers to a person's internal sense of being male, female, or something else. Gender expression refers to the way a person communicates gender identity to others through behavior, clothing, hairstyles, voice, or body characteristics, end quote. So based off what we see from the American Psychological Association, which um, many would argue is really just a political, a political organization now that seems to be bought out by a particular, um, uh, a particular political party, and I'm not going to specify on that, I think most people still look at the American Psychological Association as a credible association um, in which uh, releases somewhat credible information for the most part. And based off of what we heard there, what I just read to you, that, that definition, what we really can see is that the biological sex in which somebody is born with, right, male or female, transgenderism, whenever, transgenderism is whenever you as an individual internally do not feel as if your gender matches the physical reality of your biological sex, right? So uh, there's the reality of your biological sex, and then your perception, and in your internal, your internal, uh, the internal, uh, the internal perception of that is not in harmony with your biological sex. So I think it's fair to say that we can see that, and I, I don't want to be harsh about it, but I would assign, I would suggest that individuals who are going through this. It has to be very distressful, right? It has to cause a lot, a great deal of distress and suffering for an individual to feel as if they are trapped in the wrong body, right? So certainly we can all agree to have some type of compassion on this particular subject, that this subject needs to be discussed in a fair and thoughtful way. But then comes the question, in light of this suffering and in light of this seemingly, or in light of what seems to be um, meant, uh suffering on uh, what seems to be mental suffering on an individual from an individual on this in this in transgenderism the question is what can we do right so what do we need to do um, as a society 
So this is typically where the wedge is drawn. Um, individuals who want to treat this as a mental illness solely through psychological treatment and things of that nature are, are often labeled as hateful towards transgendered individuals. And then there's another group of people that seem to believe that transgenderism should be a civil right protected under the form of uh, pr protected under all arms of the government. And where that really draws, where, where that I think what really comes from that, what really stems from the civil right argument, is that society and government and, and culture should be expected to to acknowledge um, an individual who is suffering from transgenderism. I think that it's expected that they they kind of agree with that reality in which that person is concluded about them, their own gender. We see this in the gender pronoun um, uh, argument, right? So if you are a male, yet you feel you're a biological male, yet you feel as if you are a woman, should you be protected by the law to enter into a woman's restroom? Or should you uh, be protected under the law that individuals have to call you by what you prefer to be called uh, despite your biological reality being something contrary to that. So this is really where the conversation, the argument uh, begins. So and there's a lot of implications um, uh, from the civil rights discussion. You know, we see recently that transgender individuals are not um, allowed to serve in the United States military, I, I think more specifically in battle situations and a and the reason for this decision cited by the Trump administration was really cited really on the grounds of it seems to be a mental illness, um, a mental illness perspective on transgenderism. It could cause, uh, I'm assuming it could cause problems for, for ballot units um, for an individual who might uh, struggle with gender dysphoria or, or transgenderism. It seems as if it could, it could be a hindrance to the success and the efficiency of um, a United States military unit, specifically in battle situations. Um, I, I do not have that in front of me. I'm not sure if that's specifically what was cited. However, I do remember that conversation being had. We also know about health care. Should individuals, uh, should sex reassignment surgery be um, included in health, in, in health um, insurance? Um, that's a huge question, right? So there's a lot of implications from this conversation, whether or not it's a mental illness or or is it a civil right? You know, how do we deal with transgenderism, etc.? So that's kind of where I wanted to pick up the conversation. Because what we see, what we see in transgenderism, and I'll go on and kind of deliver my, my perspective after studying this, is I, I do believe that it is a mental illness. And I do believe that these individuals are suffering. I do, need, I do believe these people need real help. So what does the evidence suggest is going to be most helpful? And what we see now nowadays in a big discussion in the transgender movement is that of children. And um, we see that there are claims that are being made that individuals at a young age, as young as nine years old in some cases, we need to start transforming children's bodies younger, right? So we need to do this to help um, individuals who are transgender uh, avoid any type of societal stigma that may come with being transgender. Right, so an argument is is that what we need to do is we need to start treating this sooner among children. What we see, um, what we we have no evidence at what we see and what we know right now is, is that there's no evidence necessarily um, that stigma um, is a reason for the shockingly um, high suicide rates and and high depression rates that are associated with gender dysphoria. 
So what we see, um, this was what we see in a study done from some professors of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Williams Institute at the, United, uh, the UCLA School of Law. They found in their, in their study on transgenderism, and specifically concerning mental illness, depression, and other things, uh, we, we see that 46% of transgender men and 42% of transgender women in the study had attempted suicide. Was this due to discrimination? Um, that's typically where the conversation conversation pivots. So if you suggest, if you cite, which I think it's universally understood, there are extremely high suicide rates among a relatively small group of individuals that is transgender individuals. So 46% of those in this study of transgender men and 42% of transgender women in the study had attempted suicide, right? This is where the conversation pivots to, well, yeah, that's because they're they're exposed to discrimination. And I don't deny that there's discrimination to transgender individuals in some form or some capacity. The study shows, um, going on here, reading from this, the study shows high levels of discrimination against transgender people. But what we see here is that it also shows the suicide rate among transgender women who say people identify them as transgender uh, regularly in, is 45%. So what we see is that even individuals who may not experience um, discrimination uh, their suicide rate is still at 45%. And then um, and then we also see, let's see here, for those who are able to pass for the gender to which they claim, that means I'm assuming the sex reassignment surgery has come to full fruition and they are, by all standards of society, they look as a woman or a male um, in which they've tra- uh, transitioned to. So individuals who are who would not be exposed to any type of discrimination um, just by looking at them, their suicide rate is still at 40%. And then we see the suicide rate among the transgender individuals who have had hormone treatment is still 45%. So it seems as if uh, what, we, what we know is that transgender individuals are far more likely to commit suicide than the rest of the what would be general population. And the discrimination counter-argument doesn't seem to hold a lot of weight based off the study released by UCLA School of Law. And it seems as if surgery, um, there's no evidence that surgery is, is really helping the cause either. Um, and this leads to the other part of the conversation. I've already kind of discussed that um, a lot of individuals say, okay, well, they acknowledge there's a problem. So what they say is we need to start younger. We need to start with children so they can avoid this societal stigma, right? But what we just saw was that stigma wasn't the primary driving force. I'm not denying that it was part of the driving force. But what we, what we just saw is that um, societal discrimination is not the primary driving force for the mental illness and the, for the depression and for the suicidal tendencies of the transgender population. But... Suggesting that it did and, and, and suggesting that it's true is what many people do. So what they'll say is that societal discrimination is the problem. So what they believe is that we need to start younger with children so they can be fully transitioned by the time that they're adults. But what we see is that a study, um, I believe it was conducted by the New Atlantis, uh, which it was um, focuses on 50 peer-reviewed studies concerning children suffering from gender dysphoria, uh, what it shows is that 80 to 95% of children who suffer from gender dysphoria outgrow their gender confusion by the time they reach adulthood. And I'm reading this in an article written by, I believe it is Amanda Como. I believe that is pronounced correct. So what we see is that 80 to 95% of children 
who suffer from gender dysphoria outgrow their gender confusion by the time they reach adulthood. Um, and what we see in this study um, is kind of in some insight um, on these peer-reviewed articles and what we see about puberty blockers. And there's kind of four uh, major problems um, with these that are found. Uh, four major problems with this idea that puberty blockers is going to help individuals um, with gender dysphoria. One, puberty blockers prolong gender dysphoria in children who would otherwise outgrow such damaging, uh, damaging confusion. Right? So what we see is that puberty blockers may actually prolong the problem, right? Because what we see is that 80 to 95 percent of children are actually going to outgrow their gender dysphoria. And that's into into um, have puberty blockers um, uh, to to undergo treatment through puberty blockers can cause permanent damage to that. Second, we see that puberty blockers are experimental at best. There's no credible evidence that this is going to have any um, positive uh, positive effect on children who uh, endure or excuse me experience gender dysphoria. Thirdly, it's likely not reversible, despite what the transgender movement is selling. So, in a sense, this can cause permanent damage for. What seems to be it sometimes in 80 to 95 percent of cases among children a temporary um, issue that is gender dysphoria. And then, fourth, we see that puberty blockers can cause damaging health effects. So, this is essentially there's an experiment. There's no um, evidence as of right now that exists that suggests, based off my reading of these, of this uh, uh, analysis of 50 peer reviewed articles on the particular subject of puberty blockers, it doesn't seem as if it's really helpful towards children, right? And it seems as if it's somewhat of a permanent uh, solution that's what seems to be a temporary um, experience that is gender dysphoria. So in light of all that we've just said, I think there's no, again, I don't think there's any argument from anybody that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. The problem is, is how are we going to do it? What policies should we prescribe? What truths, What is true about this? And where I fall on this um, where I fall in this discussion and kind of where I end this discussion is that what we see in gender dysphoria, and I've already kind of mentioned this, in, trans- in transgenderism, there's a disconnect and there's an, a- there's an absence of harmony between the biological reality, that is the biological sex of an individual and their interpretation of what is true about their gender. You know, what seems to be uh, being advocated for rather rather intensely uh, by particular groups is that what we need to do to fix that is what we need to change the physical reality of a person to match their perception of that reality right that's a very extreme um, proce- there are very extreme procedures there are, that's a very extreme um, thing to advocate for uh, can cause permanent problems right you're you're saying let's alter reality to so your perception can match reality. Whereas what I tend to fall on is that maybe, just maybe, um, we need to advocate for psychological treatment to this. And it seems as if individuals who advocate for psychological uh, treatment through cognitive behavioral therapy or any other type of therapy on this particular issue, they're labeled as transphobic. But the, the fact of the matter is this, is that why, why permanently do a harmful, in many cases, harmful procedures that can be harmful to people uh, so that their perception of reality uh, can match reality whenever you what you can do is you can try to treat individuals psychologically so that their perception of reality matches reality 
So what you don't, you don't butcher or you don't inject individuals with harmful hormones that are contrary to their body, uh, that are not natural towards their body, but you can actually teach them and help train them to think through reality so that their perception of their gender matches it, matches reality. And I, I know that was kind of a, a mouthful, but think of it in, in other mental illnesses, uh, specifically depression, or let's be more, uh, let's, let's do another one, panic disorder. Panic disorder is a disorder in which you feel as if things around you, uh, you feel you're in danger, you feel terrified, you feel as if catastrophe is about to happen. What's happening is you are misreading the reality around you. Something chemically in your mind or something um, psychologically is leading you to feel fear when there's no real reason to feel fear. So what happens is oftentimes, though medication can be used, many times cognitive behavioral therapy is used so that what you do is your mind is retrained to think through the reality around it, right? So the problem is, is not necessarily the reality. The problem is our perception of what is true and what is untrue. So it seems as if, as if the safer and, and what we see based off years and years of psychological uh, treatment on other mental illnesses, it seems as if the safer method would be to try to uh, psychologically treat transgenderism or gender dysphoria rather than using more permanent and damaging um, practices and procedures such as puberty blockers or hormone injections or sex reassignment surgery. Because what we see is that what we what we have to understand is that this is a uh, mental this is a mental illness. This is a serious problem that needs to be dealt with. And I'm afraid that the political landscape we live in is preventing us from having a real conversation on this. And I will close with this. Again, I, I don't know the answers to all of this, but based off of what we see right now, what we see off the evidence that, that seems to be circulating, it seems as if we need to rethink some of the discussions that we're having and some of the policies in which we are advocating for and prescribing. Um, it seems as if um, individuals need to be able to engage in a real conversation with, without the fear of being called a bigot or trans, trans, uh, transphobic. So that is my hope for this. And I hope I gave you something to think about. And my anticipation, if this is transgenderism, anything, is anything else like any other subject or topic that emerged in the sexual revolution, um, I suspect to have this conversation more and more. I hope to have individuals on here um, who may have a differing perspective than me or a differing worldview. Um, maybe they have experienced transgenderism or gender dysphoria. I'd love to have that conversation. Um, but for the time being, we're going to uh, close out today and uh, kind of finish up. Thanks so much for listening. If you did listen, I appreciate it. We'll be um, we'll be back in the next few days, and um, enjoy your day. Thanks so much for listening to the Brandon Matthews Show.